I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? I can see it in your eyes. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What truth? You say you that you are a slave, Neo. Understand 20-year-olds fall in and out of love more often than they change their oil filters, which they should do more often. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free your mind. It doesn't matter who we are. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. How do you define real? You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. After this, there is no turning back. Are we clear? Crystal. And the beauty harbored there. I try to understand. My friends, it's the weekend. Do you have big plans, or are you just going to sit there and let life happen to you? Which type of person are you? Do you let life happen? Or do you make plans? Do you meticulously plan every moment of every day? I'm sure you know the phrase carpe diem, seize the day. I never was a big fan of that quote. I always felt like a day was too long. Every day is filled with both happiness, sadness, guilt, anger, joy, pride, Every emotion you can think of, cram it into one day. It's too hard to seize a day. A day is too long. Life is full of moments. Life is full of moments. I would rather seize the moment. Speaking of, did you seize a moment on Valentine's Day? What did you do this last week on Valentine's Day? It was a couple days ago. Did you go out with a special someone? Or did you sit at home by yourself feeling sorry for yourself? When I think about Valentine's Day, one of the things that comes to my mind is is Valentine's Day 2016, two years ago. I was in the middle of my divorce, nearing the end. My divorce was finalized in April. But at this time, I, I still lived with her. And I can remember this. So on Valentine's Day 2016, I still lived with her. She had a date and I didn't. And of course I knew that because I knew she was gone. I sat at home in the dark. In the dark. I turned off all the lights in the house. And I just sat there. I couldn't even face myself. And this is something that's somewhat difficult to explain. Not only was I feeling sorry for myself, but I was angry with myself over the way I felt. One of the things with borderline personality disorder is you never know if what you feel is valid. Last week I talked a little bit about uh, making yourself numb to shield yourself from your from your emotions, shield other people from your emotions. You just you make yourself numb and you just don't express anything. One of the reasons that we do that, not only because they're intense and we don't want to appear 
over dramatic to other people. But one of the reasons that we do that is because we get angry over the way that we feel because we don't know if what we feel is even justified. You go through life or a series of times where your emotions get questioned because other people are calling you overdramatic or they or you overreact or you're just too sensitive or this or that. So your emotions become invalidated and over time, you just stop expressing them because of the fact that you never even know what's appropriate to feel in a given moment. I don't know if I should feel happy when this happens or I don't know if this should upset me. So you just start to not show anything because you don't know what's right. So on this Valentine's Day a couple years ago, I was angry, angry with myself to the point that I didn't want to see myself. It was one of those moments where I wanted to get away or dissociate from my own body. There's this thing in uh, different personality disorders. It's actually known more in something called dissociative identity disorder, which you probably know as uh, multiple personalities or split personalities. I haven't told, outside of this podcast, I haven't told a lot of people that I have borderline personality disorder. But when I do, what people hear is they hear they hear the word borderline, which they think of, okay, you're close to it, but you don't really have it. And then they hear the word or the phrase personality disorder, and they immediately think split personalities. So what they think is they think, okay, you're you're on the border or you're on the edge of having split personalities. And that's how that's what they think when they hear borderline personality disorder. And they that's not even close to what it is. Borderline personality disorder is a completely separate type of disorder from dis- dissociative identity disorder. But there's a lot of confusion because borderline is a very confusing term. Borderline does not mean I'm on the edge of having something. It is a diagnosis or condition called borderline. And one of the similarities between borderline and dissociative identity disorder is dissociation. These out-of-body experiences. Uh, if you think of split personalities, when when they go from one personality to the next, that's called dissociating. Their mind dissociates from their body and from their experiences. And that's why they have memory lapses and all kinds of things like that. And people with dissociative dissociative identity disorder suffer from extreme cases of dissociation. People with borderline will dissociate under moments of extreme stress or extreme trauma uh, in a way to rescue their mind from the current experience, whatever's going on. I haven't explained a lot of borderline yet, but one of the things that I've talked about is the intensity of emotions. And the intensity of emotions can get great enough that that will, to a degree, stress your mind so much to the point that your mind wants nothing to do with it and your mind wants to just run and get away from your body and whatever is, whatever that external stimuli, whatever that external stimulus is that, that's causing that stress on your mind. And that's a moment of dissociation. Uh, One of the problems with this, though, is that on some level, you crave that opportunity. Because intense emotions, even good emotions, can be painful. Kind of like, you know, that old saying, like, it's so good it hurts. 
hurts so good, you know. So you crave the opportunity to dissociate. You crave the opportunity to escape your own body and escape these experiences. But more importantly, you want to escape even your own mind. Which gets even more confusing because the idea of dissociation is your mind escaping from your body. But you, whatever you define you as, you now want to escape your mind because you don't, when you think about it consciously, you don't necessarily want to escape the body or the external stimulus or the experience. You want to escape the way that your mind is handling it. You want to escape the, the, the emotions that are being created inside of you based on whatever is happening in the outside world. So anyways, on that day, I, I ended up getting super drunk like I would do anytime I was miserable. I ended up getting super drunk. I hooked up with some girl who ended up turning into one of my longest friends with benefits situations. But that kind of thing doesn't lead to any happiness. That just leads to more pain. An even greater desire to escape my own mind. More pain. More dissatisfaction. And a lack of happiness can cause a person to do some crazy things. My friends, what does it mean to be truly happy? What does it mean to be truly happy? By the way, welcome to Third Degree Mind. I'm happy to be back and releasing this, uh, the second episode of this new podcast, Third Degree Mind. You can find us at thirddegreemind.podbean.com. Thirddegreemind.podbean.com. We're also in Apple iTunes. Uh, that's a new thing since last week. I submitted to Apple iTunes and was approved. So if you listen to podcasts on Apple iTunes, you can look us up there. Hit the subscribe button. If you want to contact me or you want to email me, reach out to the show, anything like that, any types of feedback, any kinds of suggestions, anything at all, you want to be featured as a guest, send me an email, borderline750 at gmail.com. Uh, I'm actually in the process of arranging uh, two different uh, interviews with some of our listeners that have reached out and uh, expressed an interest in wanting to share parts of their story or wanting to give parts of advice, pieces of advice that, that they've learned through their own struggles. And I'm happy to entertain all those ideas. So if that's you, that you would want to uh, be a part of this program, absolutely, please email me, borderline750 at gmail.com. Back to what I was saying now. What does it mean to be truly happy? And true happiness is not an emotion. I'm not just talking about the emotion. Emotions are dynamic and constantly changing. I can attest to that. I'm sure a lot of you can attest to that. Emotions are constantly changing. They're very dynamic. They're very turbulent. So what is true happiness? Even if you don't have borderline or another uh, condition that affects your ability to regulate your emotions, you're very familiar with the fact that happiness as an emotion is impacted by those external stimuli. Emotions are fickle. I love that word, fickle. If you based your entire life on emotional happiness you would probably end up depressed. I don't think it's possible to experience constant happiness, no matter who you are. I, I, I'm fairly certain that that is not a possibility. So if you spend your entire life chasing that feeling of happiness, 
I think you're going to end up depressed because you're going to you're always going to come up short. Everybody has bad days. You can't you can't avoid that. Everybody goes through bad mood swings. Everybody's going to feel down at different times. That's unavoidable, right? So what does it mean to be truly happy? True happiness, I think, is a state of mind. It's not just an emotion. Maybe it means something different for you. I'm sure it means something different for everybody, but that's how I would look at it. I would say that there's two types of happiness. You have the emotion of happy. I feel happy based on whatever just happened. That made me happy. And then there's a state of mind. Maybe that state of mind of of true happiness has to do with your job or finding the right career or maybe you've already found it and it's now your career advancement and you're looking at more goals, more into the future. So maybe that state of mind is dependent on something that has to do with the future, what's what's coming, what you're aiming for. Maybe it's about, you know, finding a, a soulmate. Again, that's also something a futuristic concept. That's also a concept of something that's going to happen. I'm looking for a soulmate or someone special to share my life with, have a family with them, something like that. Maybe happiness for you is so foreign that you don't even know what that would mean. You don't even know what it would mean to be truly happy. Maybe you go day to day sometimes feeling happy, you know, but that's that emotion of having a good day. Something positive happened to me at work. I met someone. Uh, I had fun with my kids. Whatever the case is, you did something positive that day, and that makes you happy in that day. But that's an emotion. That's not going to be permanent. No matter how good it is, it's not going to last. It's not going to last permanently. I was talking about Valentine's Day earlier. I told you about my experience, a little bit about my experience on Valentine's Day from a couple years ago. This year, I took my Valentine out for dinner. We got some ice cream at Baskin Robbins. We came home. We watched a movie. We fell asleep on the couch. All in all, this was one of the best Valentine's Days that I can remember ever have. But even that is still a temporary happiness. The day ended. It's Saturday. It's not Wednesday. It's not Valentine's Day anymore. Time has moved on. That moment has passed. And so has the emotion that came along with it. Sure, I can imagine the experience. I can remember it. I can feel good about myself that, oh, yeah, I had such a good time. Whatever. I can remember it. But no matter how hard I try, that moment is gone. I seized that moment but the moment is now gone so to me that's not true happiness that that's emotional happiness how do you achieve a happiness that is a state of mind something that doesn't just come and go something that isn't so fickle or dynamic like your emotions number one this is what i think this is what i think you have to do Number one, you have to be able to look at happiness as I've described it. You have to be able to look at happiness as two different types. There's the temporary emotion and the more permanent state of mind. You have to accept that those are two different things. One comes from within you, 
and one comes from what around you. Think about that for just a moment now. One type comes from within, and one comes from around. And I know what you're thinking, because you're probably thinking that they both come from inside of you. Both emotions and state of mind, those things are both internal. That's only partially true. It's only partially true. Emotions are definitely an internal experience. But what I want you to consider is that emotions are caused by those external stimuli. The emotional happiness doesn't come from within you. Yeah, you feel it on the inside, absolutely. But it's caused by something that happened in the external and the outside world. In the borderline mind, I can say that when I experience the happy or the sad emotions, I can promise you that they are directly caused by external stimuli. That's what causes emotions. I feel them on the inside, but they're still caused by the outside world. And like I talked about last week, uh, borderline individuals are incredibly sensitive to these external stimuli. That's what causes these severe, intense emotions. There's a researcher out there uh, named Marsha Linehan, and she explained it like this. She says, people with borderline personality disorder are like people with third-degree burns over 90% of their bodies. Lacking emotional skin, they feel agony at the slightest touch or movement. Third-degree burns all over your body, that's, that's what she's saying. So how I want you to look at this, at least for right now, if not permanently changing your perspective, because this maybe will rock your worldview on emotions, I don't know. So I'm not asking you to permanently change your perspective, but I want you to think about this for right now. Your emotional status in a, pre in a moment is caused by external stimulus, while a state of mind is caused by a conscious internal decision from within yourself from within your own mind. Your state of mind starts with your own mind. It starts with your conscious decision. The first truth that I need you to understand right here, right now, this is important. Understand this right here, right now. You cannot control your emotions. You can't. There's a lot of self-help books out there, a lot of self-help speakers, a lot of, a lot of people out there that will tell you that you need to control your own emotions. You choose how you're going to feel. I think that's bullshit. I don't think you can do that. You might be very good at influencing them. You might make yourself not care about certain external events in the outside world so that those events don't affect you the same as others. You might make a conscious decision that I'm not going to care about what happened in the school in Florida. I'm not going to care about that mass shooting incident that happened, so I'm not going to be affected by it. That might be a conscious decision that you're making to not allow certain events to affect you. But you can't say that you are going to control your emotions 100% because you don't. At a certain time, something is going to happen in the outside world that happens to you or that you experience or that you witness and you don't have that control over your emotions because your emotions are caused by those external stimuli.
the world is not all cupcakes and rainbows. You're not a character from the kids' movie, Trolls. I have a two-year-old, and she loves that movie. It's not a bad movie. It actually does a good job teaching kids about emotions and about happiness. At the end of the movie, it talks about this idea of true happiness, and I agree with the way that it's explained in this movie. I think this is true for everybody on some level, but especially for those of us who suffer from some form of emotion regulation disorder. You cannot control your emotions. Step one in managing your condition or your happiness or your feelings or or achieving this true happiness, step one is to recognize that. Recognize that you cannot control your emotions. You have to accept the fact that your emotions are caused by things beyond your control. The external world around you is beyond your control. If you let go, if you accept that simple fact, you can free up your mind to accept the second truth. Here's the second truth. The second truth is that your state of mind starts with a conscious decision. Your state of mind starts with a conscious decision. A conscious decision from you within your own mind. That's the second truth. Step one, you can't control your emotions. Accept that. And then the next step is that your own state of mind starts with your own conscious decision. If you listen to my midweek update from a couple days ago, I asked you to go out and buy a brand new spiral notebook. I also suggested getting a good pen. When I first started seeing therapists, this was one of the first suggestions I I got from multiple different doctors was to just try writing. And I talked a little bit about this last week. I talked a little bit about this. I filled notebook after notebook after notebook for years. I still write a lot. I've kind of gotten away from it a little bit, but I still write a lot. It's therapeutic. It's therapeutic for many, many different reasons and and different reasons for different people. I'm not going to go into all those reasons now. But one of the reasons that it's therapeutic is because, and this is kind of an abstract concept that maybe makes sense to people with borderline more so than the rest of you. I don't know. But hear me out either way. One of the reasons that it's therapeutic is because you take something. You take something that has nothing You're taking a notebook that you just bought off the shelf. It has nothing in it. It has empty pages. Think about the, uh, you know, the different ways to look at life that you're, you're writing a new chapter, things like that. You're, you're writing your own autobiography every day that you live your life and you're adding chapter after chapter. So you go to the store and you buy a notebook. You physically buy a notebook. This is an empty notebook with nothing in it. Literally nothing, not even a name. And you take that notebook home and you can impress into that notebook anything you want. Anything you want at all can go into that notebook. And you are writing your own story physically, not just by living your life and making choices and writing a fake story. You are physically holding a spiral notebook and a pen 
This is why I picked certain pens. I kind of have a, I have a thing for pens. I have to write with a specific pen. I have to like a pen. Because I'm writing something that's very important to me. I'm writing down and I'm putting something in this notebook where there was nothing. I'm putting something there that I chose. Something that's in my mind. Something that's important to me. I'm putting my story here on these pages. And that's why I told you, and that's what that's why I told you not to just find an old notebook laying around somewhere that's half filled already or uh, that you've ripped some pages out or no, that's not a fresh start. A fresh start is something that you pick up off the shelf at Office Max and you buy it and you bring it home. A fresh start is opening a new package with a nice pen in it. That's a fresh start. So if you did that, if you listened to my suggestion and you bought yourself a new notebook, go ahead and give yourself a pat on the back. But I want you to open it up. Hopefully it's still untouched. Because this is the first thing that I want you to put into this notebook. And this is the first thing that I put into all of mine when I start a new one. Open it up. First page, first line very top of that page, I want you to write this down. Write this down. My name is, fill in the blank, I cannot control the outside world, but I can and I will control the thoughts of my mind. I write that in the top of every one of my notebooks. Every time I start a new notebook, I write that. My name is Jay. I cannot control the outside world, but I can and I will control the thoughts of my mind. I wanted you to buy a new notebook because I want you to have a new, a brand new outlook on things. This shouldn't be a recycled idea. Shouldn't be a recycled idea. I told you a couple different things about Valentine's Day. I told you what happened Valentine's Day two years ago. I told you what happened Valentine's Day this year. I cannot control those outside world situations. I cannot control, I can maybe influence each of those days, 2016 and 2018. Very different experiences on Valentine's Day. I can... I could influence them choosing restaurant to go to. You could make the argument that two years ago I didn't have to sit there in the dark and feel sorry for myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I didn't have I didn't have control over the outside world. And two years ago, I also didn't have control over the thoughts of my own mind. And When you hear the story that I told two years ago, why did I feel sorry for myself? Why was I so depressed? Was it over the fact that I was alone on Valentine's Day? Was there a hint of jealousy that I was alone and my not even fully ex-wife is already going out on a date? Was I jealous? Was I angry with her? Was I just lonely and I wanted to date myself? Who knows? Who knows? But here I am. Here I am two years later. And let me tell you, 
because I told you this last week, and I'm guessing that when you heard what I talked about last week that you're kind of wondering about this this date that I had on, on Valentine's Day this year. And you're kind of wondering because I implied that I was very single and I implied that I can't keep relationships. So why did I manage to have such a great time on Valentine's Day? And I'll tell you why. Because I can't control those outside those outside, uh, the outside environment. I cannot control whether I'm in a relationship with someone or not. That's something that happens in the outside world. I can't control that. Sure, I can influence it, but I can't just wake up one day and be like, oh, I'm going to have a girlfriend. I'm in a serious relationship now. It doesn't work that way. I can influence that. I can take steps towards getting to that point if that's what I want, but I can't just control that. There's a difference between influence and control. I can influence the outside world, but I cannot control it. Things happen in the outside world that I cannot control. Boom. So, so what, what happened then? How did I manage to have such a great Valentine's Day if I don't even have anyone? I'll tell you exactly how. And maybe you saw this coming, maybe you didn't. Valentine's Day, for me, was spent with my two-year-old daughter. She was my dinner date. She's the one that picked out the cookie dough ice cream from Baskin-Robbins. And she's the one that picked Moana and Frozen to watch on the couch. And she's the one who fell asleep at the end of our date. My friends, a state of mind starts with your conscious decision. It starts with the conscious decision that I'm going to have a good day. It was Valentine's Day. I've been alone, not with a girlfriend or a real relationship on a Valentine's Day for over three years. Which isn't that long. I'm sure there's people out there that haven't had a Valentine in way more than three years. But it's not just your ability to find a girlfriend. Because I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have that serious relationship. I don't have a wife and kids and family. But... That didn't change the fact that if I've accomplished true happiness, which, like I said, starts with a state of mind, it starts with a conscious decision, I wake up and I say, I'm going to be happy today. So I decide that I don't need the traditional Valentine to make me happy. I can find an even greater happiness because it's not just the emotional happiness. It's the state of mind happiness that I can find being with my daughter. She's two years old and I'm a, I'm, I'm a single father. She is my whole world. And that doesn't just happen overnight. That's something like I'm trying to explain. That's something that is a conscious decision. <coughs> I want to, I want to just kind of change topics slightly, but tie this all together. 
I heard something on Facebook a couple days ago that really, uh, really made me think about things. And I'm going to play it for you in a second. I want to ask you, though, real quick. Do you make your bed in the morning? I never did. I never was consistent at making my bed every day until I heard this. And I'm going to play it for you because I want to see if it has the same effect on you as it did on me. This is a short clip that comes from uh, a guy by the name of Admiral William McRaven, a very high-ranking military official in the uh, United States Navy. Uh, he's retired now. He gives a commencement address, and this is coming back from 2014 at the University of Texas in Austin. You can find the whole speech on YouTube, and I would encourage you to do so because he has ton of good things to say maybe in in uh coming weeks i can tie more stuff of more of what he says into some of my episodes but this one here really hit home for me so i'm just going to play this short two minute clip for you if you want to change the world start off by making your bed every morning in seal training my instructors who at the time were all vietnam veterans would show up in my barracks room and the first thing they would do is inspect my bed if you did it right the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened seals. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. That you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. I think he's a great speaker. He does an outstanding job in his commencement address. And like I said, I, I think you should look up the whole thing. It's uh, I think it's about a half an hour long, something like that. And he gives a lot of comparisons to life from his experiences in the military, especially his, his uh, uh, SEAL training and the way that he was treated in SEAL training, the different things that they had to do. And it's, it's a very touching speech. That particular part about making your bed every day like I said, I never did that. I never would make my bed every day. I'd be the lazy type that never did. And then I heard that um, maybe a week ago, something like that. I heard that, and I was like, wow, that's a really, really good way to look at it. And I, I showed it to my brother. I texted him. Showed it to him, and he said, you know what? And, and the reason I – let me back up a minute. When I was home at Christmas – and my brother just bought a new house, and I 
went to see his house and got to walk through it, and it's a nice house. And I remember my sister and I, because my sis- one of my sisters was there also, she walked into the bedroom and she saw that his bed was made and, and she made a joke that uh, this must be uh, your girlfriend's work uh, making the bed. And my brother looked at her and said, no, no, that, that's me. I do that every day. And both my sister and me were kind of surprised and we were like, oh, that's interesting. I never, not that I think he's a sloppy, sloppy person or a slob or anything like that, but it's just one of those things because I know I don't make mine. I don't even think about making my bed. I kind of was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't, uh, I never would have guessed that you made your bed every day. And my brother said, yeah, it was something that, uh, that grandma imparted on me, uh, one of one of our grandmas who passed away a, a couple years ago uh, used to always tell us when we were younger that making your bed is one of those things that you should just do every day. And she she passed that wisdom on to my brother. So my brother uh, had done that consistently on a daily basis. And then just about a week ago, I heard this, which is why I, I wanted to share this with my brother. And I, I sent it to him on, on Facebook Messenger, and I said, this made me think of you because of our, our conversation about grandma and, and making our beds at, uh, that we talked about at, uh, at Christmas time. And he listened to it and he said, yep, that's, uh, that, that, that's, you know, that's the same, same wisdom that, that grandma, that grandma had passed on, you know, uh, and that's, that's why I do it. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I kind of feel bad that I had never done it until hearing this, uh, hearing this speech, but so now I do it every day and I'll tell you what, as someone who very recently just started making his bed every day, I can tell you that I think this speaker's words of wisdom about giving you a small sense of pride and starting the day off right and doing the little things right, I think those are all 110% true. I think they're absolutely correct. I feel better after making my bed. I really do. And like he says at the end, if by chance you have a miserable day, you come home, and you come home to a bed that's made. And then he adds my favorite line, that you made. I didn't hire someone to do it. My girlfriend didn't do it. My wife didn't do it. Whatever. I didn't make my kid do it. Whatever the case is, it's you come home after a miserable day, you find a bed that's made, and it's something that you did. And then he says something else that's awesome. A made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. And I think that's also true. Like I said, I think you should listen to the rest of that speech. Go in and find the rest of it uh, on YouTube and and listen to the whole thing. Because he has some great life lessons for these uh, recent graduates. I think he's got some great suggestions and I think he's got some great things to do that can lead to what he says changing the world. What I what I would describe as as this state of of true happiness, this state of mind. And that's what we're trying to achieve, right? That's what we're trying to achieve. So, you have that notebook. You wrote what I told you to write on what I told you to write on the top. At least I hope you are at that point by now. So what do you write next? What do you write next? 
this is what I want you to do. I want you, over the next couple days, I want you to take that on the same page that you wrote that, what I told you to write on the top, that one sentence on, the, on that same page, I want you to open it up, and I want you to sit down by yourself in a quiet room, no distractions, minimize those distractions, turn off your cell phone, grab your pen, and I just want you to close your eyes before you start writing, close your eyes, and think about your favorite song. Think about a song that speaks to you. Think about a song that makes you feel good, gives you that emotional happiness. Think about that song. But don't play it. Don't listen to it. That's the key here. I just want you to think about it. Envision it. Just imagine that song. You can sing it to yourself in your head, out loud, sing parts of it, whatever. Think about some of the lyrics. I want you to spend a couple minutes just thinking with your eyes closed, thinking about that song, thinking about how that song makes you feel. And then I want you to open your eyes, take the pen, and start writing how you feel. How does that song make you feel? Why is that your favorite song? Why is that the song you picked? You don't have to write anything crazy. But I guarantee if you take these steps, you'll have something to write. If you don't, start with the lyrics. And like I said, I don't want you to play the song and start writing the lyrics because then you're just copying it. I want you to hear the lyrics in your mind and write them out. Just write them out as much as you can remember. Maybe you know the entire song word for word and that won't be difficult. Maybe this will be an eye-opening experience and you don't really know the words. You don't really know the meaning of the song. Maybe it's something else that you like about the song. Maybe it's just the beat. Maybe it's the music, the instrumentals. The Maybe there's no words to the song at all. If there's no words at all, then when you have your eyes closed in the beginning of this assignment, when you have your eyes closed and you're imagining the song playing, you're hearing it in your mind, like I said, just think about why you like the song. What is it about this song that you like? And I want you to come up with that answer, or those answers, without actually listening to the song. Every time I do this type of assignment, I pick a different song. The first time I was told to do this particular assignment, I picked what I imagined was my favorite song. Now I have a bunch of different songs that I choose from, and I do this assignment probably like once a week. And I think of a different song, and I'll do just what I told you. So that's what I want you to do between over the next couple of days, definitely before next week. And I'm going to talk more about why I'm having you do that. I'm going to talk more about the goals. What I want, I'm going to talk more about what I want you to do after you've done that. We're going to cover that more next week. But step one, that's what I want you to do. 
And if by chance over the next week you come up with more things that you'd like to write about, please feel free. Please feel free. The point of the therapeutic journaling is that it's therapeutic for you. So some of these things that I suggest for you to write about, I don't think uh, every single one is going to be as helpful to you as it is to me. This song, this song one, this particular assignment, like I said, I do this one about once a week. This is one of the best ones for me personally. But there's others. If you don't get anything from this or you do this and you're like, this is dumb, fine. Everybody's different. But this is where I want you to start. This is where we're going to start. And like I said, next week, we're going to talk more about that. And I'm going to cover more in depth why that's beneficial. But the important thing is what I said. Don't cheat. Don't listen to the song. You need to hear it yourself. You need to hear it in your own mind for this to work. Thank you for joining me. We're at 45 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and cut short here. Uh, in the meantime, uh, until next week, if you have any questions, you have anything that you want to share, any feedback, like I talked about earlier, uh, earlier in the program, uh, I'm looking, I'm entertaining the idea of having some guests on the program. Even if you're not anywhere near Las Vegas, the way that I would do that is a Skype call. That's definitely something that I'm open to. It's definitely something that we're entertaining. Like I said, I'm looking into two opportunities right now. Hopefully we'll have, uh, We'll be featuring uh, uh, someone else on the program, a guest on the program, uh, in the next couple weeks. So you can hear from more than just me and my boring voice. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Third Degree Mind. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Take care, everybody.